0: Thank you. Bless you. There we go. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Caleb, um, you know the Lord loves you, but He's well pleased with you. And well pleased with you, Haley. Well pleased with you, the sacrifices you've made for this house. You know, Sherry and I have been connected to this house over 15 years. And we've seen you go through all kind of different seasons like every family does, like every church does. And uh, this is a healthy house. You've got a wonderful eldership. They walk in integrity and humility. And uh, they, they've heard God. And uh, um, the Lord's taken you into places of influence personally and corporately, beyond where you've ever gone before. And you're shaking the kingdom of darkness. Hell is nervous. The devil's shivering in his pointy little boots at, at y'all being here. And uh, he's given up. Territory he's taken, strongholds he's had, they're coming down in Jesus' name. And the influence of the Holy Spirit on and in and through this house is only increasing. And you've got a wonderful pastoral team uh, here, wonderful team of servants. And uh, we're just thrilled, thrilled for the expanse. You're just, you're not dividing the house, you're spreading the house. You're spreading, the arms of this house are spreading out uh, in this expansion. So uh, lots and lots of people right now. See, I I keep being directed these last few uh, months to words that Jesus said, if I be lifted up on the cross, I'll draw all people to myself. There is a supernatural draw on the heart of every person. And there's an attraction to Jesus that's being uh, stirred up in this hour. A lot of people get nervous when things get shaky like they've been. I'll tell you what, the Lord's allowed the enemy to overplay his hand so that we're not in this gray morose of, pseudo whatever it's becoming clear and clear what's true and what's false and 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 what's light and what's darkness and uh, multitudes in the valley of decision are going to be coming to jesus so just get ready you open up your arms lots of orphans coming home lots of orphaned hearts coming home to papa's house and so uh, you're all going to be part of that so the net's just being spread and uh, ready to receive Well, I want to share a word with you today from the book of Ephesians, the letter of Ephesians, Paul's letter to the uh, Ephesian church. And uh, I think it's appropriate for you uh, for a couple reasons. One, Ephesus was a very influential city. It was a port city. It was a center of commerce and a center of culture. And it was made up of two kind of folks. Get ready for this. There were folks that made it home. And there are folks that came in and out. And it was a place of huge influence in the spirit. But prior to Paul and his team coming there and shaking things up, there were those that had a nominal following of the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And they were kind of religious routine legalists, but nominal. And then there was a lot of demonic activity. There were sorcerers. There was the temple of Diana, which was a which basically was a, a, an old-time version of modern-day Wicca, uh, of, of witchcraft and, and, and warfare. When Paul and his team came there, the Holy Spirit dropped like a bomb. And sorcerers came out into the square, and they burned their books of sorcery as they were convicted by the Holy Spirit, and they turned to the Lord. And lots of the people in, that were caught in the deception of the temple of Diana came to the Lord. Revival hit but also a riot hit. And they tried to take the lives of some of Paul's teammates. And, and I'll tell you, when revival comes, uh, resistance comes. It's so often throughout church history, revival and riot goes hand in hand. And the letter of Paul to the Ephesians was saying this, Pray for revival and prepare for resistance, but don't back down. Amen? Amen? In the words of Tom Petty, we won't back down. Down. That's a prophetic song if I've ever heard one. Plus, I like the tune. Anyway, and you can dance to it. Anyway. Paul's letter to the Ephesians, if I could just simplify the the letter, the beginning, he says, here's how you're going to stand in revival and in resistance. First of all, know your identity. I'm praying that you know who you are in the Lord and you're unshaken in your identity. Secondly, walk in your lifestyle. Don't just talk it, walk it. And manifest Jesus in your home, in the workplace, in the public place. Walk in holiness, a real tangible holiness that people can see not just what you say, but they see how you live, and it's unmistakable. And you're going to push back darkness, but guess what? You're going to get a pushback. So the last part, which we're going to look at today, is get ready to stand in spiritual warfare. Now, I tell you, I grew up in a church that never talked about spiritual warfare. I came to know Jesus in my church, and I love my church, but I never heard about spiritual warfare. And the first couple times I heard about it, I thought people were being dramatic. And I thought maybe delirious, too. They're seeing demons under every bush, and I thought they need some help, maybe... A little bit of therapy or something, but, but you know, since that time, I'm seeing that spiritual warfare is so real, and we have an an enemy, and we have to be ready for it. Now, I I uh, I, I uh, raised my boys, uh, t- teaching them how to play soccer. My brother's a soccer coach. My dad was a soccer player, and uh, I'm not. The most dribbling I've ever done is off my chin, rather than on the field. So, but uh, I taught my I, I want to teach my boys how to play soccer, and so we got this little little Fisher Price goal, and 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 then they'd shoot, and I'd let them score all the time. I mean, I was bigger than the goal, and I let I let them score on me because I wanted them to feel good. And then we we went to the the the, the Pee Wee soccer league, you know, where their shorts come down. Uh, lower than their socks go up, and they're just these little kids running around the field. But I'll I'll never forget my oldest son, the first game, he came running off the side crying, and he came up to me and he said, Dad, there's some guys trying to take the ball away from me. I taught him how to score goals, but I didn't teach him that somebody's going to try to take the ball away. I wasn't fair. I didn't teach them the whole game. Listen, the enemy's going to try to take the ball away from you and me, but he's not going to win We're in a very real battle, not just against people, but we're in a very real battle against principalities and powers. And I'm going to read this a little bit here from Ephesians 6, verse 10. Paul says the word finally, and when he uses the word finally, he doesn't say, oh, I got one more thing to tell you. He's saying, now, everything I've said thus far builds up to this point. You know your identity. You know your destiny and your purpose. You you walk in holiness. Now, Now, guess what? The enemy's going to try to attack you. He's going to try to confuse you on your identity. Isn't there a lot of that going on right now? I mean, Disney is dizzier than I ever thought, and Goofy is really goofy, and Mickey's kind of tricky right now. and uh, Who ever thought this stuff would be coming from that? Sector, But there's an attack on identity right now. Why? It's an onslaught of the enemy to talk us out of who we really are in the Lord. And then there's an attack on lifestyle. He'll attack to to try to get God's people to compromise on their lifestyle. And, And so in the end, Paul says this, finally, be strong in the Lord, in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can, that word can means you're powerfully capable of this, so that you are powerfully capable of taking your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, not if, but when, you may be able to stand your ground and after you've done everything to stand. Now, let me read it from the amplified version. I'll read it a little louder. (laughs) (laughs) Our struggle is not against flesh and blood contending only with physical opponents. "...but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly supernatural places. Therefore, put on the complete armor of God so that you'll be able to successfully resist and stand your ground in the evil day of danger. And having done everything that the crisis demands, you can stand firm in your place, stand firm, fully prepared... Stand firm, immovable, and stand firm, victorious. That's the heart of God for us in the middle of spiritual warfare. So a couple things I want to just highlight today about this uh, very real uh, issue of spiritual warfare. Number one, we're in a very real battle. It's a very real battle. And it's in the heavenly places. Now that phrase, in the heavenly places, doesn't mean in a galaxy far, far away... It means in a realm that we don't see with our natural eyes. But it's as real, in fact, more real and more eternal than what we see in the physical. And Paul begins his letter, verse 18 of chapter 1. He says, I pray that the eyes of your understanding, your ability to discern with clarity, may be enlightened, may be illuminated so that nothing's hidden. So get ready for this. Our spiritual senses are being awakened more than ever before so that we don't just judge life by what we see in the natural, but we discern there's a heightened discernment coming upon the body of Christ so that we can clearly know what's of God, what's of the enemy, and what's just human spirit stuff, because that's a factor too. But how to sort out between all of those. Now, in this very real battle, we're called to get involved, not sit on the sideline. A couple months ago, I read a book by an author that I've liked through the years. I've, I haven't loved, but I've liked through the years. But I got really mad when I read this book. I'm just being honest, confessing. I feel forgiven already. But uh, uh, I read the book and he said the church should be a benign entity in society that and have a passive role and, and that the community knows when they got problems, they, there's a place they can go. And I will tell you, that is not the kind of church Jesus is building. That's not the kind of people he's called us to be. We're called to be the head and not the tail. And I don't want to be wagging and dragging behind some dog. I, we're called to be the head. We're called to head into life and head, and head into battle, to press into battle. There's, there, there's, we're not to take it lying down. You know, my son's a pilot and uh, I remember when he first uh, uh, started to fly and we actually watched him, it was scary. I was, it was scary for me to watch him drive a car alone for the first time, <laughs> much less take a plane up in the air to get his license and and he he did really well. He came down alone, soloed and he landed and it was great. And and just as he, he uh, uh, you know, we were all hugging him and crying, mom's crying and I'm, I'm thanking the Lord, and, and uh, uh, the wind kicked up, a real strong wind, and he and another pilot had this, like, firelight in their eyes, and they were saying, let's go back up, and there was something about opposition of a opposing wind that said, and, and I said, Penny, why, are you, you, why do you want to go up there in a the plane? He said, because when the wind's coming, you fly higher. I will tell you the opposition from the enemy, what he intended for evil, God's using for good. Amen. It's going to cause the church to fly higher than we've ever flown before. And so we head into it. And so Paul's saying, look, get involved in the battle. I feel like the church is getting her voice back. You know, I, I was I was watching a movie. I hate to admit it was a Disney movie, but I was, I was watching a movie. Uh, uh, the Little Mermaid. And I don't, know, I don't know why. We might as well just buy three DVDs because my granddaughters want to watch the same thing 8,000 times, you know. So we're watching The Little Mermaid for the umpteenth time, and I'm sitting there with my granddaughters uh, and my youngest one's on my lap. And and uh, I had a moment. as As King Titan gave the mermaid her voice back and she started to sing again, I had this moment with the Lord. And so she's oh, she's singing away, and and I'm starting to cry. And my granddaughter Maddie looks at me and she says, "Pop up, this is a happy time. You should not be crying." <laughs> I'll tell you why I was crying. I was crying because I felt like it was a picture of the church getting her voice back. We've been shut down in silence and trying to behave really good for too long. And he's calling us to stand up and speak up and and live and, and, and let our light shine and not hide it under a bushel anymore. So um, we're called to get involved. Now, Paul said to Timothy, fight the good fight. You know, a good fight's a fight you win. A bad fight's one you lose. He called it the good fight. So you're gonna win. And he literally the word is wage a good warfare. It's not just one shout and done, one punch and done. This is a this is a, a prolonged standing, a posture of our heart to stand, to persist and prevail is literally what it means. And he said, Do it like a good soldier, which the word good soldier means a triumphant warrior. That phrase good soldiers also used to describe angels warring in the book of Revelation. So we're to stand like triumphant warriors in the middle of battle, but we're not to stand alone. We're to stand together. Literally four times in Ephesians 6, Paul says, stand, stand, stand. The word is stand. If if it were written in the South, it would say y'all stand. (laughs) If it were written where I come from, it'd say you and all stand. It's it's a it's it's a it's a plural na, a plural uh, command. It's do this together. Literally, it means uh, stand together as one. So we're called to stand up in this real battle, but we're called to stand together like never before. In fact, I heard that to put on the full armor, no one could put on the armor alone. They needed help to get the breastplate on. They needed help to get all the implements of the armor on. We need to help one another, and Paul used the word equip one another, equip one another for ministry Which means not just here's some equipment. It it means to challenge and encourage and affirm and spur on. That's the role we're called to play in this hour, because we've got we've got some battles to fight that are worth fighting for. Somebody fought for your soul and my soul. My grandma, my mom, they went to war for my soul. They went, yeah, they did, and they they went after it with all they had. And uh, and I'm so grateful. We're called to war for the soul of this nation. And for souls in this nation and nations you're connected to, we're called to go to war for them because the enemy's not going to win this war. God's going to win this war. And there's, this is not time. Listen, this is not time. I, you know, I came to Jesus in the Jesus movement days and, and where we were, where it was good as we came to Jesus, where we got off track is we got focused on getting out of here. You know, we, we, all we talked about was a rapture. I mean, we walked around with one, a Bible and the late great planet Earth, both together, and we, we were just planning on when to leave. And so, what, and we forgot that Jesus called us to the Great Commission, not the Great Escape. And we, were, we kept focusing on leaving mm-hmm. here. And I, I began to think, well, hold it, if the whole reason you get saved is so you go to heaven when you die, we might as well just baptize people, keep them under. You know? <laughs> Father, Son, Holy Ghost, there you go. Next. You know, it's... But he's he's called us not to get out of here. He's called us to bring heaven here and to see his kingdom come and his will be done on earth just as it is in heaven. That's how we're to pray. And and what, 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 Dave, do you believe in the rapture? Do you believe it? Yeah, I believe we're going to be caught up to meet Jesus. But I think he's got that well in hand. And Jesus said, nobody knows when it is. In my generation tried to figure it out. I found an old book in my in, in my in my memorabilia box in Mom and Dad's attic. It said, "Why Jesus is coming back in 1973," and and then and then a book was in there. Why 88 reasons why he's coming in 88. And Then the guy had the nerve to write a book the next year, 89 reasons why he's coming in 89. <laughs> that 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 book didn't sell as well as the first book did. And I'm not trying to make fun of the guy. He was sincere in what he was, what he, what he, what he was writing. He was just wrong. And so, you know, so I, I think let's let the Father handle when Jesus is coming back. How about if we handle what he told us to do, which is to occupy until he comes. We're in a very real battle. And here's the second thing. I want to give you four things about this. Number one, we're in a very real battle. Number two, we're, we're fighting a very real enemy. A very real enemy. Jesus called him the thief who only comes, he's got one agenda. He only comes to rob, kill and destroy. And what he wants to rob us of is our identity, our calling, our health. He wants to rob us of our destiny. And he wants to rob us of our joy, but he's not going to win, but he's going to try. Now, I believe there are two extreme responses to the devil. One is to be traumatized by him, and the other is to trivialize him. Neither are a good idea. Now, he is, the enemy is far inferior to Jesus, but he is not insignificant. He doesn't have authority, but he has power. Now, I have heard it preached, and I probably preached it because I heard it, and I I probably preached what I'm about to say. I don't believe anymore. First Peter 5, 8 says this. The enemy goes around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Well, I had heard that lions roar when their teeth fall out. And uh, and so the roaring lion has no teeth. I did research on it and I didn't find it anywhere. Like nowhere. I heard people saying it, quoting somebody else who never even said it. So I don't believe there's any merit to it. You know, our my my kids and I, uh, when they were back home, uh, we watched uh, we watched National Geographic movies. In fact, there was an elder in our church who just loved them, and he gave them to us. He said, "You got to see this one." They're, he would tell us how many animals get eaten in each movie. He'd say. This one's four gazelles, and this one, you're going to love it. You know, well, so, you know, we grew up uh, watching those movies, the boys and I. My wife and my daughter were running out of the room going gross. And But anyway, I, I'll tell you what. I saw a lot of lions attack a lot of, you know, critters, uh, but I never saw them gum them. The word word roaring means hungry and intent on getting what it wants. The word seeking is to plot or scheme. And the word devour means to, to swallow up or destroy. And I want to tell you, I have seen, sadly, through the years, I've seen people, individuals, and ministries swallowed up with pride get taken down with compromise and deception and lack of integrity. And I've seen the enemy destroy marriages and individuals and companies of people. He's a very, very real enemy, and he's not to be trivialized. We're to be aware. We're not to be terrified of him, but we're to be aware of him. His authority was taken away at the cross. But he still has power, and he still has the capacity to deceive. Now, the good news is, as we submit to God, we can resist the devil, and he will flee from us. That's what James says in James 4, 7. But notice this. We often quote the last part, resist the devil and he'll flee from you. But it's only as we submit to God that we resist the devil, and he flees from us. I mean, look at Acts 19. Isn't that a great story? The seven sons of Siva. They go in to deal with a demon, demonized person, and they they quote the name of Jesus. They name the name of Jesus. They're resisting the devil in the name of Jesus, but they're not submitted to God. And as a result, they got stripped butt naked or buck naked. I never know which one it is, buck or butt. There's a butt involved, I know, but... But I've never seen bucks wearing clothes, so I guess they get buck naked, butt naked, whatever. They were thrown buck, buck, butt naked out into the streets by the demon. So they would not say, yeah, the, 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 the enemy doesn't have any teeth. They'd say, no, he's got some teeth. And you don't, you don't mess with him unless you're submitted to God. But we have a very real enemy. But here's the other part, number three. We have a very real partnership with the living, victorious Jesus. We have a very real partnership with him. And God has so designed the spiritual realm that it doesn't operate on the earth without human partnership. That's how He designed it. That's why Jesus said to the Pharisees in uh, John 8:44, He said, "Your Father is the devil. They were partnering with the enemy." Paul said that those who opposed the gospel, second 2 Timothy 2:26 2, were caught in the trap of the devil, held captive to do his will. So there were people partnering with the enemy, and there are still people partnering with the enemy. But just like those that Paul mentioned, there are a lot of people that are partnering with the enemy, and they have no clue. They might even think they're doing the right thing. But just as well, in the kingdom of God, it's filled with partnership. In fact, think about Jesus. He's so partnered with his father that he said, the words I say my father gave me. The works I'm doing, I saw my father doing. We're doing this together. It's not just me. It's us working together. He modeled that kind of partnership. And we're called to him to partner with Jesus. Think about it. When you come to Jesus, you're co-crucified with him. You're co-raised with him. You co-labor with him in the great co-mission. We do it together with him. We don't just do it alone. In fact, when, when we're given gifts by the Lord... They're invitations for us to partner with him. The gifts of the Holy Spirit are not just gifts that the Holy Spirit drops off at our doorstep and rings the doorbell. And then we've got to go to Pinterest or YouTube to figure out how to use them. No, actually the gifts of the Holy Spirit are invitations for us to partner with the Holy Spirit and move and minister with him. And so think of this. Jesus, Luke 10, 19 Jesus said, I give you authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all, not some, over all the power of the enemy. I'm giving you authority. When he gives us authority, we join him and come under his authority and we move in his authority authority together with him. And it's not just us trampling the enemy alone. When we are excellent in what is good and holy and innocent and evil, The God of peace crushes the enemy underneath our feet. He does it with us. We don't just do that alone. We're in this amazing partnership with Jesus. And here's the last thing I want to share a very real battle, very real enemy, very real partnership with Jesus. But the Lord has a very real battle plan. And He is not scared, He's on His throne these days, and He's not nervous. We get upset, we get unsettled, we get fearful. I'll tell you, there's no reason to be afraid. In fact, there's a reason why the most common command in the Bible is don't be afraid. In various forms, don't be anxious for anything. Don't be afraid, don't worry. Don't, this is not an hour for us to be afraid. This is an hour for us to let the perfect love of Jesus cast every fear out of us. And we're the most, most loved and fearless people on the planet. We've got no reason to be afraid in these days. So here's the plan Jesus has. I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail or overcome it. I'll build my church. And when he used the word church, he wasn't thinking of a little white building with a little white steeple on top of a little hill. He wasn't even thinking about a building. The word "ecclesia" means, here's the literal translation, it's an authoritative coalition of reformers who transform the world. So church is not a building we go to. It's a people we go with to heal and transform the world, to push back darkness, to tear down strongholds, and to see people set free. Amen. And he's doing it. There's a draw right now on every life. I mean, lately, I'll tell you what, I've seen people, I've seen people so demonized, their demons have demons, and I've seen them come into the kingdom, frothing and shaken, but they come in, and they're coming to life. I've seen people that have been so wounded, and so battered in life, healed, restored by the Lord, maybe not just in a moment, but in a process there is no life he can't heal. There's no life he can't restore. There's no chain he can't break. There's no prison door he can't bust open. He is mighty in this battle, and he's calling us to join him in that mighty battle plan. And uh, the word ekklesia, this, this word ecclesia has been so misconstrued through the years. The word ecclesia means to be called out. And there have been seasons where people have translated, like that book I threw across the room I told you about earlier, that have thought that ecclesia means a church should be called out of the world. We should just be separate from the world and not even mingle with the world, just you know, not, just, just kind of off here in a corner. And that's not what we're called to do. We're, we're not called to hide. We're called to change the world. And Jesus said that we are two things. We are lights in the world and salt in the earth. Now, both both phrases mean something a little bit different. And together, they're powerful. Lights in the world we, means that we are people who bring personal revival. We see people awaken to the Lord. And salt in the earth means we change society. We change the culture. We, we bring reformation. So it's not just about filling up the church. It's about flooding the territory. He's called us not just to fill up this house, but to flood this territory with a living testimony of Jesus. Perfect? No. People aren't looking for perfect people. They're looking for people who are loved, who know who they are, who know how to walk humbly with God, who know how to admit their mistakes and get help and get forgiveness and press on. It doesn't mean God's waiting for us to be perfect. He's just looking for us to be pursuing him and walking with him and he'll give us what we need. You know, I'll tell you in some of my most off days when I felt the least evangelistic, God has done some of the most powerful things through me to let me know it's him and it's not me. You know, I was in a grocery store the other day. I was in the produce section. And I don't know about you, but I have to I have to allow more time now to shop because of those plastic bags in the grocery in the produce section that I can never open. So I'm standing in the produce section. I'm trying to get it just right, and then I realize it says open on the other end. So then I have to start all over again. And I'm, am just, I'm trying. And and this guy comes up to me, and he says, "I think I know you." And I said, "Okay." And I'm still trying on this. this thing. He said, "He said, he said uh, uh, you married a friend of mine." I said, "Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, you did the wedding. That's what I not I have to." I have to clarify these days, you know, it's, it's, it's isn't it silly we got to clarify, you know, so yeah. I mean, I was a man trapped in a woman's body and then I was born. Just clearing it up. So <laughs> I'm sorry about that. That's not original. I heard Chuck Norris say that. You take it up with him. <laughs> so I'm there working on this bag, and, and he says, "Yeah." He said, you know what? i got to tell you this. Um, you laid your hands on my friend and his wife, and you blessed them. And he said, no, look, I haven't been to church for ages. I went a little, time, a little bit when I was a kid. But he said, something in my heart. Said, I wanted to come up there and stand right with them and, and have you bless me. He said, I, "What you prayed for them, I want you to pray for me." And I, I put the bag down. I, I'll, I'll see you later. I'll be I'll be right back with you. I'm going to win. <laughs> but I I I started to focus on him, and and this impression came. Now get see, listen. You and I are having our senses awakened to the to the voice of the Lord more than we know. You, you've you got, beyond your five natural senses, you've got all kinds of spiritual senses, and he's awakening those so we can, you know, we can hear him. I felt like the Lord said, there's something with his right ear. And, and, and then it's his ear lobe. I'm going, wow, Lord, why here? I'm in the middle of produce. You know, they're going to think I'm as fruity as the grapefruits, you know, as so... And I said, well, can I, I'll pray for you. He said, well, put your hand on my shoulder like you did. I said, you know what? I, I felt like I was to to touch your your right earlobe. And he goes, what? <laughs> and I'm going to the Lord, what? <laughs> so I said, no, I, is there something? I, and I, I tried to try to, I, I said, well, is there, is, do you have a hearing problem? He said, I don't have a hearing problem. He says, but you said earlobe. And I said, yeah, I said. I, it's crazy, but I said, in, a pic, in my mind, I got a picture. That I was holding your earlobe instead of your shoulder. He said, you are kidding me. He said, I said, please tell me something. I'm dying here, you know. So he said, "He said uh, my grandpa walked with Jesus. And he always told me, day's going to come. You're going to walk with Jesus. And he tug on my right earlobe. So I said, well, can I do that? He said, by all means, go for it. So... I closed my eyes when I prayed so nobody else would be watching. I didn't see anybody else watching me. So I just prayed for him. Listen, get ready. These opportunities are going to come to you and I left and right, all kind of people being drawn. You're going to do some stuff that does not make sense to your brain, but learn how to bypass your brain in this moment and reach out to people and see what happens. You know, there I'm crying with a guy who's crying in the, in the middle of the produce section as I'm holding on his right earlobe, and God's doing a work deep, deep, deep down inside. So um, just, just get ready for this. We're, we're called to, to be lights in the world, and we're called to be salt in the earth and change it. Now, I'll tell you what. We have an unfair advantage. I just want to read this to you. We've got several things that give us the upper hand in this very real battle plan. Number one, Jesus won. And the devil lost. And when Jesus, when Jesus was on the cross, his last words were a shout, and he said the, the Greek word um, uh, to and that word to it is finished was a word that if you were Roman gladiator, you heard that word a lot, because when two gladiators would fight to the death when the one gladiator would conquer the other one, he would stand on that conquered foe and raise his sword into the sky and yell, it is finished. He'd yell the word to Telestai. He'd yell it. And that's why, now the first first movie I ever saw about the life of Jesus was called The Greatest Story Ever Told. And uh, John Wayne played the centurion. So when Jesus yelled, it is finished, John Wayne said, Truly, this was the son I got. And I think I was so laughing at the fact that John Wayne said it like John Wayne. I mean, he had a helmet on and everything, but it was still the cowboy John Wayne saying that. And I kind of missed the point. But no wonder the centurion said, this is a son of God. He'd, he'd heard that shout, it's finished in the, in the stadium, the Colosseum, when a victory was won. And he knew in that moment that Jesus won the victory. Jesus won. He absolutely won the victory. And he did, as, as the father had prophesied in Genesis, he crushed the serpent's headship. He took away his authority at the cross. Secondly, we have not received demons, spirits. We've got angels watching over us. But even more, we've been baptized and drenched in God, the Holy Spirit. The devil can only distribute demons. Jesus drenches us in God, the Holy Spirit. And number three, God is omnipresent. Satan is limited. He can't be everywhere at once. That's why he's got demons. Demons. And number four, demons are outnumbered two to one by angels. And every time you see the angels, they're going up and down a ladder into the presence of God, getting refreshed and reinvigorated. And demons are shriveling on the vine. They're trembling. They're afraid. One of the men in our church was attacked with double pneumonia a couple months ago. And he's one of the most cerebral guys I know. He is a... uh, He's a civil war reenactor, which means he dresses up like a soldier and lays on the ground and plays dead. So he's a, he, he reads all the time. The man is brilliant, but he got attacked with double pneumonia, and while he was in the hospital, he got assaulted by fear, and he just he was ready to, to end, to give up. Now, did I say he's cerebral? I mean, he's, he is cerebral. He, he does not have much room, or he, he didn't have much room for any of the things that we're talking about here. He, he said, okay, if you want to call it spiritual warfare, I think most battles are mental. But there in his room, he had an open vision of, of an angel fighting for his health and his restoration. And he said, I saw this angel, and he said, the angel was smiling. And the angel was singing and the angel was throwing light at something. And I heard that something scream out in pain and agony. And he said, I asked the Lord, what is this all about? And what is this angel fighting? And the Lord said, he's fighting a spirit of fear. And he said, well, you showed me an angel. Can you show me the spirit of fear? And he said, I expected to see a dragon like from the Lord of the Rings. He said, but I saw this imp about a foot tall, shriveled up like a nervous chihuahua. (laughs) I love dogs. Chihuahuas are very neat, aren't they? I mean, if they didn't have eyes, they would have no body shape. So, So this... And he said, what is that? And the Lord said, that's the spirit of fear. I will tell you, seeing in the spirit, if right now we all put spiritual glasses on and could see in the spirit, hell is scared. Demons are shaking in fear and angels are moving in triumph. And it's time for us to get on the bandwagon with the angel army and stand up and not back down and not be intimidated. Because no weapon formed against us is going to prosper. So here's what I'd like to do. Caleb, come on up, and we're going to, we're going to tag team this here together. Uh, I, I felt to do this today. You know, in the book of Galatians, and toward the, the end, Galatians 6, it says two things. It says, let everybody bear their own burden, and then it said, bear one another's burden. And I'm going, well, what's the difference? Well, there are two different words for burden. The first word for burden, let everybody bear their own burden, is their assigned backpack. There are things you're called to carry that I'm called to carry that nobody else can carry for us. But the word for burden that we're to bear with one another is a boulder that's too big for one person to, to lift up. And let's face it, there are battles that come our way that we're not intended to fight alone, that we need others to stand with us. And one of the things that happened in the land of Canaan is when an enemy would attack one tribe, the other tribes rallied around that tribe, and they fought them off together. I believe that there are some battles that you're facing right now that are not just life happening to you. Because let's face it, life, stuff happens in life. But there's an assault of the enemy on your life. And today, we want to stand together with you for the victory of Jesus to be applied in your life, for the enemy to be put to flight, and for victory to come in your life. Now, I, I got a couple things, and Caleb is going to share some stuff, but I, what I got earlier in the week was there are some here today that you've been attacked continually with a spirit of infirmity. You seem to get over one thing and another thing comes. And you get over that and another thing comes. It's not just, well, I guess I'm susceptible to sickness. No, there is an assault by the enemy to try to bring infirmity into your life. I got another thing. Some of you have really been attacked in your finances. You get blessed, you receive, and it seems to fall out a hole in your pocket. Where is it? There's been an assault on your finances And the Lord's coming today to bring uh, victory to you in that area. The the two other things I got was there's depression hitting some folks and even self-hatred, self-loathing. And it's just been a relentless battle you've been fighting. And the enemy is so afraid of you knowing your identity. Just as what was his temptation of Jesus in the wilderness? He tried to talk Jesus out of being the son of God, if you're the son of God. If you're the son of God, he's scared. He's scared when we know our true identity in the Lord. And there's been an attack on your identity and we want to stand. So I'm going to turn over to Caleb and we'll, we'll, uh, we'll do some warfare together.
1: Why don't you go ahead and stand to your feet and altar team. If you guys want to get in place for us, there was another word this morning in particular that, um, and probably goes with Dave's self-hatred thing that someone's, uh, you're wrestling with suicidal thoughts and maybe even tendencies there's a chance there's someone here who's um planned plotted for what it would look like to take your life and we sense that there's uh, some demonic stuff happening and, and we, we're just believing that if you would come and confess that and we believe that our altars are a safe place. We don't throw stones at anybody. If anybody throws stones at you, they have officially given me permission to kick them in the forehead. And I got a great angle right here, okay? Um, uh, so it's a safe place. I say, I'm saying that to say it's a safe place. That you, If you're struggling, if you've thought about suicide, you've wrestled with how you could do it or why, I want to ask you to come. We want to lay hands on you and believe that that spirit's going to break today. There's one more word that someone's dealing with an issue in the hip and that that God wants to bring healing to that. So what we're going to do is I'm going to ask the worship team to begin to sing for us. And if any of those words that Dave shared, touched, we talk about the Holy Spirit just kind of putting his finger on you. If you sense it all, I want to ask you to come. If that suicidal thing or depression thing uh, is something that you've wrestled with, I want to ask you to come. We believe the Holy Spirit's here to bring freedom and healing today. So, worship team, would you sing for us? And the altars are open. Let's worship. Again, don't hesitate. I want you to look around. If that's you, I want to ask you just to step out and believe God to bring breakthrough this morning. Thank you, Lord. Thank you,
2: Lord Jesus. You bring light. You are light. Yeah, go ahead and come if that's you. You bring light to the dark. We thank you for healing today, Holy Spirit restore every heart that is broken
1: think that there's freedom coming would you just kind of sing over the people who are pressing in right now
2: Church, if you feel like
1: there's a family member that's been assaulted, maybe you have a son or daughter who's far from the Lord in this season, just for the next, you know, 30 seconds, I want you to sing over them and press in. Let's believe God to bring healing to our families. Go ahead and keep singing for us. We thank you for victory in our households, Lord. We thank you that sons and daughters find healing and wholeness. Because every strategy of hell has to fall flat bring me vows in the mighty name of Jesus, the precious name of
2: Jesus, the victorious name.
1: if you're here and you've never surrendered your life to Jesus, the Bible teaches that any man who comes to Christ receives ultimate forgiveness that the blood shed on the cross would forgive you of all of your guilt and you'd be forever adopted into the kingdom of God if you've never bowed your knee to Jesus and confessed him as Lord, I want you to come before you leave this place today you can belong to the Father hallelujah hallelujah As we close, why don't you open your hands? Let's just thank him. We just thank you this morning, Lord, for freedom and wholeness and deliverance. We bless the name of Jesus. We worship you as King of kings and Lord of lords, our victor, our savior, our righteous Lord. We love you. Come on, church, just tell Him, I love you, Jesus. I love you, Jesus, with all I am all I am. I trust you. I live to serve you. You're so beautiful to me. Hallelujah. 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 Well, hey, our altars are going to stay open. We're going to just kind of linger in the presence of the Lord here. But if you need to get your kids or get out of here, you are officially dismissed. But if you sense the Lord.